Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Joanne Kwai, your host for today. I'm a PhD candidate at Karlstad University in Sweden and an affiliated PhD with the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies. Joining me today is Angelus Matson, a lecturer and program director at the School of Journalism at the Department of Communication and Media at Lund University. He is also a PhD student at the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Helsinki and an affiliated researcher at the Swedish South Asian Studies Network at Lund University. He has conducted research and has been teaching about journalism practice and digital technology from a comparative international perspective. His latest research focuses on journalism in Vietnam and the impact of some Swedish media aid projects. And this will also be the focus of our discussion today. Andres, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me here. To begin with, can you tell us a little bit of your background? What has led you to your current research interests? I've been working as a journalist, uh, traveling uh, back and forth to Vietnam for many years. Uh, I think my first uh, journalistic field trip to Vietnam was uh, in 2006. A few years later, I joined Lund University as a lecturer or adjunct, as we say in Swedish, uh, to teach at the School of Journalism. Over the years, I have managed to somehow both do uh, journalistic work and teach journalism at the same time. When in relation to Vietnam, I have over the years uh, been able to nourish a network among practitioners in Vietnam. I have had the opportunity to visit several newsrooms over the years and revisit newsrooms, taking part of journalists' stories and taking part of different Vietnamese journalists' experience of conducting and working as journalists in Vietnam. And their experiences and their stories and their emotional feelings about this vibrant profession was some kind of a starting point for me when I started to think about actually conducting my own academic research. One thing led to another. I started to talk with colleagues both here and there and in different academic contexts about what I was thinking. That took me to a doctoral plan that I managed to uh, work on at, as you said in the introduction, at University of Helsinki together with my supervisor Carl Gustav Lindén. And I find the development of journalism in Vietnam very fascinating. Uh, on one side, you have repressive media laws and you have a one-party state. We have to bear in mind that Vietnam has, since reunification between South and North in 1976, been under uh, in the governance of, of the Communist Party of Vietnam. Many things have happened since then. Uh, the societal development is very rapid in many ways. Yet journalism is uh, still uh, a topic that in some ways could be seen as sensitive. On the other hand, journalism in Vietnam is, has also over the years been booming because of uh, the ongoing and very quick digitalization, the transition to new platforms, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was somehow the backdrop for me when I formalized my interests in conducting uh, academic research in Vietnam. I should also mention that when I've been visiting newsrooms and I, when I have met journalists around in Vietnam, the media aid projects from Sweden has been a reoccurring topic. The outcomes of the Swedish media aid, aid projects starting in early 1990s 
have made its uh, footprints uh, in many, many newsrooms in Vietnam. Of course, that also was something that I wanted to bring up in my doctoral plan and also in my project plan for my PhD project. Since the pandemic happened at the same time as I joined the doctoral program, journeys and trips from Sweden to Vietnam became very difficult to manage. I started to look into uh, these media aid projects and what were they all about and what did they actually do and so on. And one thing led to another and here I am today and um, obviously investigating and examining uh, media aid from Sweden to Vietnam as maybe the main part of my doctoral studies. And can you tell us what is this all about? Why were Sweden in Vietnam giving them the media aid? And how did it begin? Oh, it's a, it's a long story. Uh, it's interesting as well. We have to go back in time a little bit. We have to look at what Vietnam was uh, in the 1980s. And of course, also what Sweden was in the 1980s. As I said in the beginning, Vietnam was reunited in 1976, the Vietnam War. And in the mid-1980s, the Communist Party of Vietnam implemented uh, renovation reforms under the name Doi Mai. These renovation reforms, as they call it, one can also call it economical and political reforms, also, of course, uh, included journalism. But it's mainly mostly famous or well-known for the, the foundation of the economical transition late in the 1990s led up to very, very fast, rapid economical growth. Journalism was also included here. Doi Moi also included uh, reforms and ideas about how to professionalize journalism and professionalize the profession of journalists. Historically, Vietnam and the Vietnamese journalism has been a melt pot of influences from various parts of the world. Vietnam was under French colonial rule for many decades. We have the influences from the Soviet Union. We have the influences of the actual war in itself. In the 1980s, uh, being a journalist in Vietnam was still uh, widely known as someone who politically appointed to a position of being a journalist. In short, one can say that newspapers and TV informed about what the members of the government and the parliament have been up to. The professionalization that started in the end of the 1980s and the beginning of 1990s was also that kind of journalism where the Swedish media aid started to enter. So the Swedish media aid projects that I am exploring and what that I'm looking at are mainly two. They were both financed by SIDA the Swedish Agency for International Development. One of the projects that lasted from 1993 until 2003 was a local radio project that was carried out by uh, the Swedish public service broadcaster, Swedish Radio. The other one was named Further Training of Journalists and was carried out by Fojo Media Institute in Sweden, which is nowadays is a part of Linnaeus University. We look at the ideology that was behind this. One should also be aware of that When these all formed and shaped, Vietnam was not just a random country in the developing world for SIDA or nor for the Swedish government at the time. Sweden and Vietnam initiated or established diplomatic relations very early on. Sweden was the first Western country who opened an embassy in Hanoi in Vietnam already during the war. In the end of the 1960s, during the Vietnam War, the Swedish Social Democratic government signed a deal with the North Vietnamese government to build a paper factory outside of Hanoi in the north of Vietnam. The paper factory that, that was named Bai Bang. 
From a Swedish point of view, it was said, and it's also said in different documents already in the 1980s, that all these years of diplomatic relations and collaborations also in the developing sector had also made it possible for the Swedish government to also address political sensitive topics to their Vietnamese counterparts. The aim of the both these projects, the media aid projects, was actually to democratize and modernize journalism in Vietnam. That's a very sh- short definition of the, the project's aims. So I understand that you conducted interview with the Swedish trainers. What were their experiences? Oh, there were many. And I should also add that besides conducting interviews, I've also gone through a documentation, evaluations, field diaries, field notes, course evaluations from both SIDA, uh, the contractors, and the Vietnamese government as part of this uh, research project. The trainers' experiences are, of course, diverse. And, and one thing that I think is striking, at least to me as the one who have interviewed them, is that their memories and their experiences from Vietnam and from the time that they spent in Vietnam is for many of them, it's an emotional experience. Several of them have said it's a life-changing experience. It's a career-changing experience to meet colleagues from another media system and to work together for something else and to improve quality of the newspapers, to improve quality of the news shows in TV or radio, to install certain technological equipments, to spend time together and to visit newsrooms that for the Swedish trainers look completely different than what they used to. The Swedish trainers were all experienced uh, journalists in Sweden. They were not teachers or lecturers from universities. They were recruited from well-known newsrooms across Sweden, including, of course, the public service companies, uh, Swedish television and Swedish radio. For the radio project, the idea was to modernize and equip local radio stations across Vietnam using methods and technological experiences from Sweden. Because Swedish radio at the time underwent a development where they also tried to build up more and more local radio stations. In Sweden, we are very familiar with the P4 network, where each province should have its own provincial radio station. And and the idea was to do the same in Vietnam with the help of the national broadcaster Voice of Vietnam. What the local radio project did under a decade was to facilitate radio stations with up-to-date technology and to educate and train the staff in order to be able to use it. But besides that technological transfer, the idea was also to influence the radio stations with ideas on how one could increase certain journalistic methods into their daily productions. And one identified method that was uh, prioritized, I would say, was what we called interviewing, live interviewing. The idea from the Swedish trainers was that If we assist our Vietnamese colleagues in order to do live interviewing, by doing so, we also increase the amount of democratic democratic working methods into the journalistic production by being able to work as mobile reporters, ask questions to the woman or man on the street, and so on. There was also an idea that by implementing a dial-in radio at the local radio stations across Vietnam, the contact surfaces between the radio station and its audience would increase and the opportunities and the possibilities for the citizens to actually speak out 
to share an opinion, share expressions or emotions would benefit the democratic conversation in Vietnam. The interviews and live uh, elements of radio production was prioritized by, by the radio project. How are the projects received by the Vietnamese journalists, by the Vietnamese newsrooms? I think this was, for many of the Vietnamese journalists that was part of this, this was the first time they met colleagues from another country. And for that reason, it was also very well received and it was something completely new. And it was something that also demonstrated examples of how one can conduct journalism in a completely different way than they might were used to. But one should bear in mind that Sweden and Vietnam represent two very contrasting media systems. If we look into the uh, comparative media system theory uh, by Halin and Mancini, we can identify Sweden as democratic corporatist uh, country up in one part of the media system map. Whereas in Vietnam, if we look into the media law from 1989, latest revised in 2016, and I read it out now in the English translation, the press in Vietnam has the following tasks and powers to provide truthful information about domestic and world affairs in line with the interests of the country and people, and to propagandize and disseminate and contribute to the formulation and protection of the line and policies of the party, policies and laws of the state, achievements of the country and the world according to the guiding principles and purposes of press agencies. So by reading out the media law, we can kind of very quickly see that these two media systems are in, men, in some ways very far away from each other. Then when, we, when, when, when the media aid products that was so tailored and so, t- so aimed to bring ideology from one of the media systems, the Sweden, to the other, Vietnam, of course there were tensions, there were confusion, and of course there were also uh, negotiations about practices. How can one do this? Is it possible to even do uh, as the trainer from Sweden proposes? in this country. Uh, And of course, when you ask about how it was received, I think by looking into the documents and talking to some of the former participants in Vietnam, I find that there were tensions and sometimes also confusions in in relation to the translations. Bear in mind that the project language was English, not Swedish, nor Vietnamese. Uh, in the 1990s, most of the participants, the Vietnamese participants in the in the training activities, they didn't speak English. So the products also totally relied on interpreters. The interpretation, the translations of certain words, certain concepts is, of course, also of interest. And that's something that I we can talk more about later. But that's something that I am paying my scholarly attention to right now, uh, trying to to examine in what ways the language proficiency and role of the interpreters actually made a difference in this uh, carry-out of the media aid projects. As you mentioned, the journalism ideology in these two countries are quite different, and there were tensions when the Swedish media project were in Vietnam. Uh, can you elaborate on this type of tensions and how would... Um, transfer of knowledge happen like within all these tensions and what was journalism culture in Vietnam before and has it actually changed afterwards or at least at these specific newsrooms where the projects were present I will break down your question in several possible uh, answers in my attempt of trying to elaborate on this first of all 
the Swedish trainers' strategy, by using their own words, was to demonstrate how journalism uh, was conducted in Sweden and then allow it for the Vietnamese participants to interpret that into their circumstances, into their media context, into their newsrooms. But they were doing it uh, in a way where they tried to push the boundaries for what was possible and what was not possible, or what was seen as possible and what was seen as not possible. My examination shows that the technological transfer was much easier to do than actually transfer ideas of media ethics or newsroom management or how to cover certain stories because the technological transfer went kind of smooth. And that also actually brings me to uh, one of your other questions, I believe. One of the outcomes or several of the outcomes can be related or can be traced to the technological transfer because, yes, there is live shows. They managed to establish live shows in radio, Voice of Vietnam. Uh, yes, they did manage to establish dial-in radio where people could phone in. And if we look into the other products of further training of journalists, the newspaper layout in many of the newspapers, I can bring up uh, several of the, or at least two of the uh, biggest daily newspapers in Ho Chi Minh City the, in the south, Deutsche and Danian newspaper, they managed to, through the project, uh, uh, develop a new, new newspaper layout for, for their print newspaper. So several of these technological transfers actually made an outcome for the Vietnamese media audience to take part of. Behind the scenes uh, and from my interviews uh, with the Swedish former trainers, there were also experiences of uh, joining the Vietnamese participants in the field. And uh, in doing the field work and during their field trips around in Vietnam, they encountered things that they were never, that they never witnessed or they never, never experienced in Sweden. They uh, encountered, for instance, corruption, paid journalism, or as uh, some scholars would call brown envelope journalism. They... Uh, experienced what we also can call paycheck journalism. Both brown envelope journalism and, and checkbook journalism is, of course, related to the mistrust or, uh, or, or the whole media ethical con the conduct of media ethics that was completely new to the Swedish trainers. Uh, they have never experienced something similar before, many of them. And for them, it was also a very emotional experience, and which they have shared with me in several of the interviews, that they had no idea of that this could happen or how they should handle the, the different situations. Uh, there is this Swedish saying, uh, which they also uh, mentioned during their training activities, that the journalists should keep an arm length distance to the power of the society, the, to the political power. And of course, that is very difficult in a, in a media system or could be a problem, problematized in a media system where one of the main tasks of the press is to propagandize uh, information that comes from the party. Mm -hmm. So are you aware if there's any more Swedish media aid projects going to be carried out in Vietnam? And also out of curiosity, uh, is there any other Swedish media projects in any other country? So the, the scope of, uh, of my study is uh, basically look at the years 1993 until 2007. And those years I selected because that was somehow the start of 
many years of international media aid and media development from Swedish SIDA. They have started already in the 1980s with smaller projects that where foreign journalists and journalists from the developing world was invited to Sweden. But this was the first time Sweden in a larger scale did media training abroad in another country. And the presence in Vietnam remained until 2015 when SIDA closed its office in Hanoi. Nowadays, and after 2015, and since these years, uh, that is the scope of my study, Sweden and SIDA has carried out media development and media aid in many other countries. I know the learnings from Vietnam and the experiences from Vietnam has been uh, useful in projects in other parts of Asia, such as Myanmar, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka. Uh, nowadays, I know that... Uh, Fujio is still active uh, in many countries. They do have a, an office in, in, still have an office in Vietnam and uh, they have been working on media training and they are working on media training in, uh, in different African countries at the moment. From my side as a researcher, I find the years uh, in Vietnam, 1993 until 2007, as very interesting because the experiences and the learnings from those years somehow have impacted the way that the Swedish media aid has been designed afterwards. And do you think this type of uh, media aid projects are sustainable and should be encouraged? What role does it actually play? I think it can be very important. I think it, there are potentials, as I said, by allowing uh, journalists and practitioners from different part of a country or of the world to, to meet and share experiences. But I do think that one learning from Vietnam that I know has made an impact on later media aids projects is uh, the importance of also taking into account the local context, the local culture, the local journalism ideology when designing uh, these projects. Uh, there are other scholars who have studied this in other countries that has also come up to the same conclusion uh, or to the same result that the local context of the individual journalists is important to take into account when addressing uh, working methods, when addressing uh, different ways of conducting journalism or when assessing uh, media ethics uh, into different in different uh, uh, professional contexts. And I think that while the projects were ongoing in Vietnam, the organizations behind it, Swedish Radio and Fojo, learned a lot of things through their participants and through their local colleagues, the interpreters and the Vietnamese co-trainers, that they could make use of when they redesigned and, and further developed their courses and the workshops and the, the structure of the training. Uh, you mentioned a little bit, but what is the next step in your research project and what are some things that you're working on right now or if there's any future research project in the pipeline? So right now at the moment, I am, as I mentioned earlier, I'm looking into the role of the language knowledge here, the language skills. It's said early on in the project documentation that the language barrier between Sweden and Vietnam should not be a hinder for future development of media aid in Vietnam. So for that reason, and also because of what has been mentioned in the product evaluations and in the interviews with the former trainers, I am curious and I am interested in actually uh, trying to understand a little bit more about what role do the language actually 
the languages because we should mention them in plural. It's Swedish, it's English and Vietnamese. What role did they play in the outcome of these training activities? Uh, what role did the interpreter actually uh, make here? The role of language and uh, interpreters and the translation of concepts of journalism, I believe also that is in, of interest to study in a, within the field of journalism education, because we see also more and more globalized uh, journalism education where practitioners, students, professional journalists study in another country than they work in. And, and for that reason, I, th- I find it interesting also to, to pay a scholarly attention in how language prophecy actually plays a crucial role in journalism training and journalism education. Because if we look into the case of Vietnam, once again, more and more Vietnamese students study abroad. And that also includes journalism and media students. Uh, And uh, in Vietnam, we can also see how foreign universities, uh, to a larger extent, offer media education on site in Vietnam. So then, of course, the question that I am interested in, of course, also to understand a little bit on how does this impact the media climate? and the role of, of, of journalism in a, in a given society, let it be the case of Vietnam. And uh, besides this, I hope that uh, the rest of my PhD journey goes smooth. I think that the media landscape of Vietnam is of interest, and I think it uh, should be uh, studied much more. And I think it's interesting also to know more about the uh, patterns and the decision-makings that is going on inside that media landscape and their digitalization legislation and the development of different professions could be and should be of scholarly interest to study of course mm-hmm. yeah thank you very much for joining us and i do wish you the best with your phd journeys thank and you, you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And to our listeners, you can connect with Andres on Twitter at uh, Andres Mapfen and with me at Joanne Kwai. The links will be shared in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.